inspiration. You were there to help me out. You just saw the need and said, can I help you? We learn a lot from watching other horses and watching other riders. I'm Julie Goodnight, and thanks for listening to my podcast about horse training and equestrian sports. It's time for Ride On with Julie Goodnight. Since the last time we recorded, Rich and I spent a week in New Smyrna Beach, Florida, visiting my family and doing quite a bit of boating. We had a fabulous time. It was actually my very first time on a plane since March of 2020, so that was an interesting experience. We flew straight from Denver to Orlando on United. We traveled intentionally on Tuesdays, which are the slowest day of the week at airports, and the trip was actually easy, and I felt pretty safe being fully vaccinated and following all the COVID protocols. Just a few days ago, I returned from my final clinic of the year at the Sea Lazy U Ranch up in northern Colorado. It was a brand new program we were doing this time, one that's been in development literally for years. Uh, I call it Horsemanship Immersion. It's a four-day intensive training, and it was fabulous. It was even better than I had dreamed. And Sea Lazy U is a ranch with over 200 head of horses, all trained riding horses. And it's a luxurious guest ranch up in the Rockies. So it was the ideal location for this program. We had a full house of participants with 40 people coming from all over the country, even um, an international participant as well. We had an ambitious schedule to follow and that included lectures, training demonstrations, and hand-on workshops, plus daily riding lessons for four days. Some of the highlights of the program were we opened up with a fabulous time having uh, horses and happy hour out in the 2,000-acre pasture with 200 head of horses surrounding us. It was super fun to just hang out with the horses and look at all the different interactions and enjoy being in that mountain splendor. It was really a special way to open the clinic. We had hands-on veterinary workshops where people got to listen to gut sounds and take vital signs on horses, practice bandaging. They were actually doing real first aid on horses from the herd as needed. So there was a lot of real positive feedback from the veterinary workshops. There were also groundwork lessons, equitation lessons. Some of my favorite parts of the weekend were the round pen sessions. I did a round pen demonstration, and then we followed that up with allowing people to get in the round pen with different horses and learning how to work the horses and read the signs and and progress through the round pen process. We did the same thing with reading horses. We did a behavior workshop and then went out into the corral with a couple hundred horses and, and just did observations of their behavior and their communicative um, gestures and all of that. It was super fun. I could never have pulled off this ambitious schedule without all the help from the Sea Lazy U Wranglers who were constantly running back and forth to the crowds to bring us horses that were relevant to what we were doing and helping people get where they needed to be, saddling horses, unsaddling horses. I also relied heavily on my own crew 
Twyla Walker Collins, mainly my longtime assistant trainer and business manager. She taught lessons all day long, so it was quite a hectic weekend. I also had the capable assistance of my dear friend and travel companion, Lucy Achenbach, who many of you may know if you've come to some of my clinics on the road. She travels with me a lot, and she is an absolute master at keeping everyone happy and moving us all in the right direction. So things always go better when Lucy is around. And I recruited my longtime friend and veterinarian, Dr. Janet Varahus. She taught all the veterinary workshops, was really great. We got a lot of positive feedback. And also she did a workshop on integrative medicine and let people see different techniques from acupuncture to laser treatments and so on to uh, help alternative type treatments for horses of all kinds. So that was a lot of fun. My only regret with the ambitious schedule was the stuff we actually had to leave out because there just wasn't enough time. It was also a little frustrating for everyone, I think, to be at such a luxurious resort up in the mountains and not really have enough time to pause and soak it in. So because of that, we decided to expand this program to a full five days next year. That'll make it a little bit more expensive, of course, but it will be uh, just a fabulous event. We'll be able to throw in a little bit more content and also give people a little luxury of time so that they can enjoy the ranch and also do a little bit more trail riding up in the mountains. I'm still finalizing details for my 2022 clinics and riding retreats at Sea Lazy U. We're adding another ranch riding adventure weekend, you might be happy to hear. For all those people who have tried to get into this program for the last five years or so, it tends to stay in a constant state of full. So now that we're adding a whole second week of this uh, riding retreat, we should be able to get more of you into the program. So we'll have more details soon up on my website, so please visit juliegoodnight.com slash events for more information. Coming up soon, November 9 to 11, I'll be in Fort Worth, Texas for the Certified Horsemanship Association International Conference. I go to this event every single year. It's an awesome hands-on educational program open to anyone, primarily targeted towards riding instructors, trainers, and other horse professionals, but it is open to anyone. I'll be doing clinics and workshops there. CHA is a nonprofit member-driven organization whose mission is to promote safety and excellence in horsemanship. We do that primarily by certifying horse professionals, accrediting riding programs, and publishing some awesome educational resources. I'm proud to be certified as a master instructor through the organization. I'm also a lifetime member and their international spokesperson, so I'm pretty highly committed to this organization. You can find out more about our conference and about the organization at CHA.horse, and be sure to check out their YouTube channel as well. You can also find me on YouTube at Julie Goodnight, and check out my online training resources, curriculums, and personalized coaching programs at juliegoodnight.com slash join. Plus, we've got innovative grooming tools, tack, bits, training equipment, and videos at shop.juliegoodnight.com. 
every now and then we get such a huge backlog of really great questions from our listeners that we devote an entire episode to answering as many questions as we can. This month, you get a full hour of What the Hey Q&A with topics ranging from how to handle displays of aggression from your horse, to motivating a lazy horse to respond, to controlling the speed of faster horses. So let's get started. Our first question comes from Susan from Facebook Messenger. And Susan asks, should I wrap horses' legs when going on trail rides? If going through high grass or brush, if so, what type do you recommend? Your help would be appreciated. Well, Susan, thanks for your question. And that's a quick and easy one to answer. I never wear boots on trail rides. There's a lot more that could go wrong than you will get benefit from boots on a trail ride, in my opinion. Between going through water and mud and bogs and creeks and brush and even getting gravel and debris down inside the boots, it's just not worth it. You also stand the chance of a boot coming off and you have to stop and dismount or go look for it. In, in general, your horse is not going to be putting his legs at much risk. There are some areas where we trail ride here in the Rocky Mountains, where it's quite rocky and the horses might occasionally uh, get a little scuff from a, a brushing up against a rock. But I find overall the, the inconvenience of boots while trail riding far exceeds any kind of benefit you would get from them. I'm mostly using protective boots on my horses when we are working in the arena and asking them for high output maneuvers such as rollbacks or spins or sliding stops, jumping, the kind of things that in some ways uh, makes it much more likely for your horse to injure himself through interference. So I don't think those conditions really exist that much out on the trail. Um, Also boots would make the horse a little bit unnecessarily hot out there. So in general, it's just not really a good idea. Next question comes from Dina via email. And Dina says, if my horse throws a tantrum and starts running and galloping circles disobediently during groundwork or lunging, should I stop him or let him run it out like I've been taught? Dina, this is an excellent question. It's actually one that comes up a lot. I find myself talking about it in almost every clinic I do, including last weekend as we were doing groundwork with the horses up at Sea Lazy U. On occasion, for instance, when you work a horse in a round pen, that horse, either through previous bad experience or because his anxiety level is just so incredibly high, that horse will just start running around like crazy as soon as you put him in the round pen, whether you're doing anything or not. And if that's the case, I immediately disengage the horse. I stop acting like I'm working him. I walk towards the gate and just turn around and ignore him. Sometimes I'll even walk right out of the pen if I think he's just running pell-mell for no reason. I want him to be responding to me very deliberately, not just running around um, in a crazy, you know, kind of way. So I just don't tolerate it. I won't try to stop the horse or anything. I'll just disengage with him. If I'm working a horse on a lead line or lunge line, 
and he starts backing or he starts bucking and running crazily, I would probably just turn around and have him go the other way or stop him and ask him to settle. I think one thing that happens a lot in these kinds of circumstances is there's a chicken and an egg situation where you, the horse is running around bucking disobedient and you wish he would stop, but he thinks he's doing it for you. Whenever I hear people say, I have to lunge my horse to get the bucks out of him before I ride him, I know chances are, are good that you have trained that into the horse. Horses that are getting plenty of exercise don't act like that unless they have some reason, in other words, unless they've been taught to act that way. It's a chicken and egg scenario. You don't know which came first and the horse doesn't know which came first. In most instances, the horse is acting that way because he thinks he's supposed to or because someone has inadvertently taught him to act that way. So I want to disengage with the horse, stop him, disallow that behavior, whatever that looks like. It might be turning him around and having him go the other way every time he takes off. It might be stopping him, making him put his head down and settle. Or it might be, as I mentioned in the round pen, just totally walking away from the horse and disengaging him and waiting till he stops and turns around and looks at me before I do anything further. I would not let him run it out, so to speak, like you've been taught, because actually I think what has probably happened is you've taught the horse to act that way. So the horse is not going to change his behavior. However you got in this cycle of behavior doesn't really matter at this point. The horse isn't going to change the cycle. Only you can do that. So figure out another way to address that and figure out a way to just simply disallow the behavior. We'll be sure to add a few resources from my online training academy, and we'll put those in the show notes for this episode so you can find a little bit more information on this subject. Next question comes from Shelly via email, and she asks, what correction would you give a horse you are riding when another horse comes up to it and your horse responds with a squeal? or some other bad reaction towards that horse. Shelly, I would admonish my horse quite harshly for any kind of display of aggression or any display of friendly or unfriendly herd behaviors with other horses when they're being ridden. It's simply a basic fundamental rule of training that we teach horses from day one that we start handling them that whenever you are being ridden, whenever you are being handled from the ground by a person, it is inappropriate for you to have any sort of displays of behavior uh, with another horse. It's just, it's not safe, and it's something that's very easy to teach a horse to do. Sometimes you will find yourself in situations where another person's horse caused the problem, but your horse reacted poorly to it, I'm still going to scold my horse because I have a very high standard that my horses are absolutely as safe and well-behaved as they can be. If you allow horses to interact and do things like squeal or bar their teeth or kick out or make even just a nasty gesture to another horse, it can really lead to some serious accidents. People can get hurt or even killed. So this is a really fundamental safety issue 
And also, it's very simple to train a horse that he's not allowed to interact when you're riding him. People do it. Most horses that you see have been trained in that way. And if I have an incident, I'm riding with a group of horses and somebody, you know, comes too close from behind or does something with their horse that interferes with my horse, I tell them, you know, if you cause my horse to react, I'm going to have to punish my horse for something you did. And I'm not going to be very happy about that, but I have very high standards and high expectations for my horses, particularly when it comes to safety. So I'm still going to address it with my horse. So I would greatly appreciate it if you would keep your horse under control and if you would uh, teach your horse this very fundamental safety rule. I encourage people to be, be careful who you ride with. I mean, pick your company wisely. I like to hang out with people that have similar activity levels and ability levels that I do, particularly when it comes to trail riding. I like to hang out with people whose horses are safe and reliable, not going to be throwing fits and causing a disruption uh, with other horses in the group. So I would uh, pick your company wisely. There's a lot of information on my website about teaching horses this fundamental rule of behavior that they're not allowed to interact with other horses and you teach it from the youngest possible age and um, that will help everyone be a little bit more safe. So again, we'll add some links for you to the Horsemanship Academy so that you can get find more information on this online and we'll put those in the show notes. I put the questions that were quick and easy to answer at the top of the lineup so that we could get a few out of the way. And as we go on, they're going to get a little bit more complicated and perhaps a little more lengthy to answer. So our next question comes from Jenny. She says, I have a 12-year-old mare named Jessie. She used to be a barrel horse before I got her. She's well-trained, and I have been taking weekly lessons on her for three years now, in which we never had this problem until recently. I had never cantered on her for those three years because I was scared to learn the canter. However, I did learn to canter on some lesson horses and recently started cantering on Jessie. It was good for a few months, but now when I trot her, she will go into a canter on her own whenever she wants to. And she'll go from canter to trot to canter to trot all willy-nilly. I'll correct her each time and bring her back down to the trot but the ride has become just frustrating and I feel unbalanced because I can never just get into a nice sustained trot anymore. Any suggestions? Can you come to California and ride her? Just kidding, but I wish. I love watching and listening to you. Well, thank you, Jenny. That's, that's sweet. And I wish I could come to California and ride your horse because that's what I love doing the most. I think you have a sort of cascading um, schedule of problems there. So probably starting out with your horse being previously a barrel horse, where she likely did a lot of high-paced cantering, loping, um, not loping, but galloping. And a lot of horses that have been used in speed events, once you ask them to canter, they tend to be that way. They want to canter more and more and more. The other problem I think that combines with this is that you rode this horse for three years without asking her to canter 
That's not uncommon, by the way. I, I get situations in clinics like that all the time. But when a horse hasn't been cantered by a single rider in a very long time, he stops thinking about the canter at all. And he just assumes you're never going to ask anything more than the trot because in, in three years of riding, you've never done anything different. And so horses are so dependent on patterns and routine that after a sustained period of time where you've never ha asked the horse to do something, it sort of falls off his radar and he forgets that it's even a possibility. So what often happens then is you have a little bit of trouble getting the can horse into the canter when you do want a canter. We work through this all the time, including at the clinic I just did last weekend, a person who had had a horse for a while and never asked at the canter. Once we got past the horse understanding that this was going to be something new and different for this rider, he was willing to canter for her easily. So that's probably a part of your problem as well. If you are not controlling the speed of this horse, if the horse stepping into the canter whenever it wants, that's a simple and fundamental obedience problem. That's one of the first things we train horses is to stay in the gate that I tell you to until I tell you something different. You should never have to hold a horse in the gate. If you're holding a horse in a speed, um, something has already gone wrong. You have a disobedient horse and you're enabling the horse's disobedience by going along with them. So anytime you're, a horse is just on his own without a cue launching into a canter, that's a horse that has no understanding of who controls the speed. So I think you need to go back and address some very basic fundamental issues. One of the other most fundamental things when we train the riding horse is not to break gait, either up or down. So once I've asked you to trot, you should continue trotting until I tell you to do something different. I shouldn't have to be holding you back. I shouldn't have to be speeding you up. You should maintain the speed that I ask of you. That's true of walk. That's true of trot. That's true of canter. So your horse doesn't seem to understand any of that. It could be definitely compounded with the uh, previous experience barrel racing. But I think you need to go back and address this at the most fundamental levels of training. This is fundamental obedience. I talk a lot. If you go to my website, you can find a ton of free information about what I call the golden moments where you establish with every horse on every ride you take what your expectations of the horse are, including that you dictate the direction and you dictate the speed, not the horse. We can't let a thousand pound flight animal be the one that dictates the speed. Some of you have horses that are very lazy. We're going to get into a few questions about that. I had a ton of questions about that, in fact. Some of you are asking about horses that are too fast, but the truth is the horse doesn't get to pick the speed. So we've got a hole in the fundamental training of the horse. The only way to fix that is to go back to there. But I think that certainly you are culpable as a rider. So I would, would guess that this horse might be easier for someone else to control, but for some reason, this horse does not think that you have control or you have authority over the speed. So you, you probably need to get some help from a professional instructor or trainer 
to um, maybe get on that horse and ride her a little bit and and get a better understanding of the horse and then show you how to effectively correct the horse. I can tell you what I see a lot, what's really common in these scenarios when horses break gait is that um, whether the horse is breaking gait up or down, the rider just recues the horse instead of admonishing the horse. If you never admonish the horse for doing something incorrect or disobedient, how would she know it's, it's wrong? If you, for instance, if you ask that horse to trot and she steps into the canter, what you're doing is just cueing her to trot again. There's no admonishment. So I think that you need to readdress how you are so-called correcting the problem. Um, it sounds like you're ride, just riding it to me. So the horse has no way of discerning what's right and wrong. Also, I would encourage you to consider what your cues are because the horse does not seem to be able to distinguish between the cue to trot and canter. So we need to make sure that those cues are distinctly different. And when the horse does not respond correctly to a cue, that you effectively correct him instead of just redoing it all again or going along with whatever response you got from the horse. So I think you've got some real fundamental training issues here. Probably nothing, you know, serious or mean. You just need to get this stuff figured out. And chances are pretty good you're going to need the help of a professional to watch you ride, to figure out what's going on with this horse, and to give you the tools you need to make the appropriate corrections. Once you get that going, I don't think you're going to have any trouble at all. So thanks for your question, Gina, and keep watching and keep listening. Our next question comes from Inas via Facebook Messenger, and she says, Hello, Julie. I need your advice desperately. I wish I lived around your barn so I could have a clinic with you, but I live in Egypt. My mare has been with me for three years. She was six when I got her, and now she is nine. We had two good years jumping and showing. Then she started acting out, going back with every aid, refusing to move, bucking, rearing. She would refuse trotting even. Got her to the vets, and they said she has navicular bone issue. Treated that, and then COVID-19 happened, so I haven't been riding consistently. Then the last period she has been through some rest, then the last period she has been through some rest as she had inflammation in her right sacroiliac and a crack in the hoof. Now she has a clean bill of health. I started riding her this week. She started refusing me again, like she won't do what I cue. She won't go forward, she won't canter, nor trot, nor give in to me. I asked the groom, who is far less experienced than me, to ride her. She did literally everything he asked of her, even when he made mistakes while asking. She tolerated it. My trainer rode her, and still she cantered once he set his right foot in the stirrup. My trainer thinks she doesn't like me. I know she loves me off-saddle, but I don't know what's going on. I read your article about the rider whose trainer said the horse do doesn't like him, but in this case, he was green for him, and they were pros. In my case, 
She accepted the groom, who is less experienced, and the trainer, who is a pro, but not me. My trainer thinks I should sell her, but I don't want to. She's a jumper and young and has a lot of potential. And on top of that, I just love her. Maybe I am stressing her out. Maybe I made mistakes. Maybe I pressure her. I don't know. Any advice would be great. If you do online courses or clinics that I can attend while riding, also that would be great help, please. Well, Inas, that is a complicated situation you find yourself in, but there's a few things that really stick out to me. First of all, it's only been a week. First of all, it's only been a week since you started riding her, at least from the time you wrote this question. And that's not much time to get back in a groove with the horse. I don't believe horses do things like that because they don't like you, but I believe maybe your horse has made some negative associations with riding, with you riding her. Let's go back all the way to the beginning when you said she had trouble. Uh, she just started refusing and acting out after two good years of riding and jumping and showing. I would suggest that the reason why she started acting out is because she was in pain with whatever navicular issues she was having. That's not something that you just treat and then it goes away. That's going to be a constant thing for you to navigate with this horse. You're going to need high quality veterinary and farrier work working together to help keep that horse sound and give her the relief she needs to um, be able to work effectively. Then she had, so you had trouble with her acting out because she was in pain and you were the one riding her. So you were the one that pushed her through that until she couldn't do it anymore. So she could easily have some bad associations with you riding her and um, she could be recalling the times that you rode her when she was actually hurting. Now, you can't um, go back and erase that memory from her, but in time you can show her that you are going to pay better attention to her physical needs and you can show her that it's going to be okay. But another thing that can happen in that instance when horses are pushed to the point of refusal and when they're pushed to the point of acting out, often that is because of physical pain, but sometimes it's because of stress and inappropriate training or you're asking the horse to do something it wasn't prepared for, didn't have enough training, didn't have enough confidence, didn't have enough foundation, so it's stressing out on the whole issue. So whatever the cause, if the horse has been pushed to the point of disobedience and refusal, and then it gets away with it, meaning that let's say, let's say that horse was in pain one day and you took her out to the arena to jump her and she started you know, rearing and saying, no, I'm not gonna do that and being resistant and not going forward and, and just re absolutely refusing to do anything. At some point, you probably got off the horse and quit. Now, it's a pretty good guess that the horse was acting that way because she had been pushed to ride through pain you didn't know about. But even though you eliminate the pain, that doesn't mean the horse doesn't remember 
the cause and, and effect of its behavior. So even though the horse was acting out because of pain or some physical issue or even some other extraneous reason, even though we take those reasons away, it's still quite possible that the horse may have learned that his bad behavior caused you to put him away or his bad behavior was what helped him get out of uh, work he didn't want to do. So horses are such fast learners that they can easily learn these things on the very first time. And often, this is not uncommon at all, but often in situations like that, I I had this happen with, with my very own horse. He was lame and I didn't realize it until I asked him to canter one day and he was working normally until I asked him to canter and he cantered fine on the left lead, but then when I asked him to canter on the right lead, he immediately switched. First, he wouldn't take it, and I thought, huh, that's weird. This is a push-button horse. And then when I kind of spoke harshly to him and said, come on, get up the canter, he took one stride on the right lead and then switched immediately to the left lead. So I realized I did that one more time, and then I realized, oh, gosh, something is something has gone wrong. And I got off my horse and I put him away. And he did have an injury and he was off for quite a bit of time while we rehabilitated him. And when I went back to riding him and he was perfectly sound and the vet had entirely cleared him for riding and we were bringing him back slowly, he did the identical thing that he did the last time I had ridden him when I got off him and put him away. I asked him to take the right lead. He took one stride and then switched to the left lead and stopped. And I wasn't sure what to do. I was concerned he still had soreness. So I just kept him at the trot that day. And then we checked him out again, could find no evidence of soreness. And after consulting with my vet, I decided to just push him through that problem to just scold him a little bit and say, no, I'm going to insist that you canter on that lead and that you stay in it. And then that was the end of it. He just he just felt compelled to try it. So I think you've got a few different things going on with this horse. One is that she you left a bad taste in her mouth from riding her when she was in pain. And we need to make abundantly certain this horse has a lot of different physical issues going on. So you have to be certain that she is not hurting um, in whatever it is that you're asking her to do. And then if, if you feel confident that that's the case, you're just going to need to push through this. I don't think you need to escalate what you're doing. I think you just need to be persistent and, and just know that whatever happened back when the, this first navicular problem occurred is probably when all this learning occurred that she might be able to get out of work by um, just refusing to move forward. So if you're totally confident that she ha- no longer has any pain issues, and it doesn't sound like she does, or the trainer and the groom would not be able to work with her so well, then I think you just need to get your trainer's help or maybe another trainer. If, if your trainer does not believe in this horse and does not believe that you and she can um, get it back together, then maybe you need to seek, um, seek someone else. 
but you may need some help to push through this, someone that can give you some confidence from the ground, that can hop up on the horse and um, get get it done while they are on the horse, and then you hop up and get it done. I, I think you're going to be able to push through this and um, understand that horses learn and make associations all the time, every day, whether we want them to or not. And I think this is just a case where a horse has made um, some inadvertent and undesirable associations, and you're just going to have to work through it. Our next question comes from Chastity via email, and she says, Hello, Julie. I was wondering about your thoughts on spurs. I have ridden horses very sporadically throughout my life, but recently I started taking lessons. I am about five foot two inches tall, and my horse is about 15 one hands. When I am with the trainer, I have a hard time making the horse side pass with leg pressure. He also will not take up the right lead when I give leg pressure on the left side when I am heading into a lope. He is an ex-roping horse. When I pressure slash kick him, he doesn't seem to respond to me. It's almost like he doesn't feel me or doesn't care. He is a somewhat lazy horse, which I like right now, but I want him to respond to my leg pressure. I'm afraid my legs are too short or my legs aren't putting enough pressure on him. Do you think spurs would help? Chastity, again, this is a question that comes up a lot and I have written about it and you can find information on my website. I will um, mention several things. In, in general, my answer to do you think spurs will help is no. I am not an advocate of novice riders using spurs, and I am not a fan of using spurs on a lazy horse. You can, um, the problem is not that the horse does not feel any pressure from you. You remember, we talk a lot about how a horse can feel a fly land on its hair, and he has the unique ability to shake that muscle, that little spot on his skin to get rid of the fly. So there's never a situation where the horse does not feel any cue that you give him. But I think you were more accurate when you said it's almost as if he doesn't care. That's really what the point is. Because of a lack of reinforcement to the cue, the horse has learned to ignore the cue. This is what most lazy horses do. This is what most beginner horses learn. They learn that if they just ignore your cue, you will stop cueing. And for every three, four, five, ten seconds that they get to stand there and not do anything, they are being rewarded. So what happens is over time, and by the way, most beginner horses are, are lazy horses. If we didn't have lazy horses, people would have a hard time learning to ride. So what happens is lazy horses often become beginner horses. They make great beginner horses because it's hard to get in too much trouble with them. But they also learn ways to get out of working or put off working. And novice riders, beginner riders, tend to give a cue and then stop. And they stop and question whether or not they did it right. And then they do it again. And then they question whether or not they do it right. And then they may or may not add a little bit more pressure. But all the while, the horse is 
um, is being allowed to rest. So he's being rewarded for ignoring the cue. And he's learning stuff about the rider, like she's never going to follow through, so why should I do it? He's learning stuff from the rider, like I can tell she's reluctant to spank me or do any more pressure than just a little nudge with her nose, so I'm pretty sure I can just stick this out and stand here and do nothing. The reason why I don't like spurs on in this scenario is um, one reason is to me spurs are an advanced aid for an advanced rider doing advanced maneuvers. It is about refinement in cueing and not about lazy and not about basic disobedience. Another reason I'm not a fan of using spurs in this scenario is that before we put spurs on any rider, they have to have excellent and perfect leg position so that they are not inadvertently sticking the spurs into the horse. This can become a huge safety issue because novice riders that don't have control of their leg, generally when things go bad, the horse oh, stumbles or goes too fast or spooks or something like that, they tend to clinch with their lower leg and that would be sticking the spur into the horse which would cause an even worse reaction. So there's actually a safety issue there as well that we don't want to put um, spurs on a novice rider. Now you mentioned your 5-2 and your horse is 15-1. That's a pretty big discrepancy in size. A lot of English riders are riding big horses because the sport you know, favors horses that are bigger. I'm five foot four inches tall, and I like a horse that's about 14 hands. My legs are actually long for someone of my height, so I don't have much trouble uh, with my legs hanging down. But I just find to be physically well-proportioned to a horse, 14 hands or 14-2 is, is the sweet spot for me. So you are riding a horse that's a little bit big for you, and you will have trouble getting enough leg on the horse. But that's not, shouldn't really translate to your cueing um, as much as you would think. We generally use the whip to reinforce the leg aid, not a spur. So when you have a situation with a beginner horse or a, or a lazy horse, that ha and we're talking about a trained horse, he knows the cue. He is just, through lack of reinforcement, learned to ignore the cue. He has learned that he will benefit from ignoring the cue. That horse just simply needs reinforcement. I would suggest that first you ask a more experienced rider or a trainer to work with that horse a little bit to reinforce the leg aids on that horse. Now, you might possibly run into the same situation I just talked about with Inas, where your horse is responding just fine to the trainer and other riders, but not responding to you. But that is probably due to your um, long series of not reinforcing the cue adequately. So you think that you are, are reinforcing adequately, but it's not enough for this horse. So you need to find the amount of pressure that motivates change. There needs to be reinforcement from the whip or other artificial aid right where your leg pressures the horse. You give the lightest possible cue 
and then you immediately, within one second, reinforce with a little tap of the crop, a little tap of a lariat or a quart or something, right where your leg cued the horse. But the reinforcement must come immediately, and it must be with the appropriate amount of pressure that causes change in the horse. Get some help from a more experienced rider to work with your horse a little bit, and then have them show you how to properly reinforce your leg aids, and I think you can get past this problem quickly. I know these kinds of horses can be very quickly uh, retrained to become responsive um, once they understand that reinforcement will come. Once they understand that their obedience is or their response is not optional. Our next question comes from Christy via Facebook Messenger, and this is actually a two-part question. So she has two somewhat separate problems, I would say. So Christy says, I have a horse that I've had for three years. He was a young three when I got him, and I was just recovering from back surgery. He's got a couple of issues that I need to work on. He gets plenty of wet saddle blankets, but I need help with groundwork. He's extremely nippy and lippy. He's never bitten me, but lately he started pinning his ears back when he does it, and that worries me that I'm letting his behavior manifest. I've been watching your daily doses, and I'm going to start with the absolute basics and try to work through them. My other issue is speed control on the trail. When I first got him, he only wanted to walk. Well, at the end of the season last year, he finally discovered his gait, and it's smooth as silk, but now he's, quote, unquote, lost his walk. We trail rode for 30 miles this past weekend, and my arms are sore from trying to hold him back. What video do you have that would help me with that? All right, Christy, we do have two totally separate questions here. Although I, I would say in, in some very basic level, they're related in, um, in the fact that it seems like this horse doesn't really have a lot of deference for you. He doesn't really feel like you have a lot of authority over him. But first, let's talk about the biting. I have written, there's probably no single subject that I have written and talked live about and blogged about and podcast more about than biting. Biting is the single most aggressive and deadly behavior of horses. And it is a behavior that begins with um, something that seems fairly benign and it progresses to aggressive and deadly behavior over time. And so when you say that you're worried you're letting his behavior manifest, you should be because you are. And you have simply not established appropriate boundaries with this horse. So it is a fact of horse behavior. You can uh, read about this in almost any behavior book that horses tend to be very expressive with their mouth. As I said before, biting is the most dominant behavior of horses, but it all begins with a simple behavior called lipping. And that is when a horse simply puts his lips on you and generally he wiggles his muzzle and it feels kind of tickly and we, we laugh and we giggle. He, he might put his, he might lip your arms, he might lip up your shoulder, around your neck, around your nose, around your face and ears. 
we tend to think that's funny and cute. We mistake it for affectionate behavior, but all the horse is actually doing is probing out your boundaries. So when a person allows a horse to put his lips on them, what they're telling the horse is that I have no boundaries. You can do whatever you want with me. I have no personal space, so therefore you're the boss of me. He's trying to determine where your boundaries are and where you fit in the hierarchy. A subordinate horse never puts his lips on a dominant horse, except for during one behavior. You've all seen it. It's known as mutual grooming when two horses face each other and they use their lips and their teeth to massage each other. Mutual grooming only occurs between bonded horses, but even between those bonded horses, one of them is dominant and one of them is subordinate. Therefore, if you observe this behavior, you'll notice that the dominant horse always begins the grooming session and he always ends it, and he ends it by biting. So that little bite at the end of his grooming session is just a reminder to that horse, who also happens to be his best friend, that he's the dominant one. So as your horse is allowed to put his lips on you, with every uh, boundary he goes past and with every subsequent um, effort on his part, he's learning that you have less and less authority over him. He's learning that he is higher on the hierarchy. Lipping 100% of the time leads to nipping behavior. And nipping occurs when a horse just takes a little pinch of skin in his teeth, and then he usually lets go and flies backwards and waits for you to scold him. Almost all people will scold a horse after he nips. But keep in mind, he never would have nipped in the first place if you hadn't let him put his lips all over you. So you should never allow horses to put their lips on you. And this is one reason why we don't advocate ham-feeding treats to horses because it just encourages this kind of behavior. If lipping goes unchecked, it leads to nipping. If nipping goes unchecked, it leads to biting. If biting goes unchecked, it leads to aggressive and dominant biting, which can be deadly. You are at a precipice with this horse. If you don't stop this behavior immediately and definitively with the harshest possible punishment when he bites, um, in other words, you should you know, bring, all, bring it all out, yell, scream, stomp your feet, wave your arms, smack him, back him up when, immediately whenever he puts his lips on you. But in the meantime, you have to act more appropriately around this horse. I've talked a lot about the importance of teaching horses not to ever move their nose towards you when you are working around them, about keeping clear boundaries with your horses. So we're going to put some um, some resources of, up for you in the show notes that will help you get a little bit more information on this biting behavior. But this is serious and it's something you need to stop right away. Now, your other issue is speed control on the trail and your horse's uh, recent um, refusal to walk. And it's interesting that you said your arms were sore from trying to hold him back because that sort of illuminates the problem and tells me that you're culpable in this situation. So for whatever the reason, the horse used to walk just fine, but now he's doing some sort of 
um, slow gait, some sort of jigging or prancing. Um, you didn't really um, detail. However, that is um, not an obedient horse. That's not the way we train horses. Remember, I talked about that earlier in this episode, that whenever you are in a situation where you are holding a horse back, something has already gone wrong in your training. That's not the way we train horses. It's their job to maintain the speed that you dictate. So if I'm, I, again, I've written a lot and done a lot of recordings and whatnot on horses that jig on the trail. So I would encourage you to go to my website and check that out. You can get a free membership and have access to a lot of information. Of course, you can subscribe to the full training library, which gives you unlimited access to all of the information, all of it searchable. So you can search jigging on the trail. We'll put a few resources up on the show notes for you. But there is a specific process I would use to retrain the horse to walk on a loose rein. You shouldn't have to hold him back. This, uh, in this, It shouldn't be one way when you're riding out and another way when you're riding back. Those are all big red flags of something having gone wrong, wrong in your training. So just in a nutshell, Um, What I would do is immediately and abruptly and somewhat rudely slam that horse to a halt as soon as he broke into the next gate. And then I would loosen the reins completely and very quietly and slowly urge him into a walk on a loose rein. At the first moment he steps up into that higher gate, I would repeat, immediately gather up the reins, slam him hard to a stop, and then start over again. You have been riding this gate. You just rode it for 30 miles. And in doing so, what you told him was he was doing the right thing. When you spend that amount of time holding a horse back, what you're actually training him to do is push through the bridle or run through the bridle. It is often the holding back that's actually causing the horse to jig. In in fact, it's almost always that. And that's why in my training method, you're going to immediately slam the horse to a halt, but then you're going to totally loosen up the reins. I don't want the horse walking because I'm holding him back. I want him to walk because that's what I've asked him to do. So correct him immediately when he's wrong, give him a loose rein and let him put his head down and walk. Um, And you'll need to work through this disobedience. And again, by, by holding him back and by riding all that time and all that distance in that situation, you're also culpable here. You've told him that that's what you want him to do. So you're gonna have to break the cycle here. If you were um, having so much success with him before, it shouldn't take you that much to get back. But again, I encourage you to look at some of my online resources. Um, They'll go into more details and um, help you find your solution. It's hard to believe we've almost eaten up an hour already with your questions. They're great questions and I'm having a lot of fun answering them. But unfortunately, we just have time for one more question. This one comes from Barbara via Facebook Messenger. And she says, hi, Julie. So I have a situation. 
My mare is very attached to her pasture mate of two years. My mare will willingly, happily go down the trail alone, but the very few times her friend goes out, my girl goes nuts, running the fence line, calling, running circles nonstop. The other mare has to go to Tufts for special x-rays, and she will be gone for two nights. We are very concerned on what to do. One trainer says if we start taking the other girl away daily, my mare will eventually get it. Another says no way she will change. We have two weeks to figure this out. I have an option to take her to a neighboring farm for the two nights where she will be in a separate pen but next to the others. Also, on advice from my trainer and vet, we would ace her to settle her. So my question, I'm sorry this is so long, is there a chance in two weeks that she will get to the point that she would not run herself till she couldn't or should we just go to plan B moving her? I should mention she's 25 years old and does have some hind end arthritis. Good question, Barbara, and I'm glad you have such concern about your older horse. Of course, the older horses get, the more herd-bound they tend to become, the more reliant on their companions they are, the more unsafe and panicked they feel when left alone. Also, I, I should point out that it's always the horse that's left behind that's the problem, rarely the one that leaves. He's engaged with what he's doing, he's with his humans, he feels safe and he's engaged. It's the one that's left behind that tends to go nuts. So I've talked and written a lot about this subject too. If I have that situation, I generally get the other horse out too and I tie him up someplace safe and comfortable so they cannot run around and act crazy. But in this situation, I think the answer is pretty clear and I think you already know it yourself. Um, just go to plan B. If you don't leave this horse behind, you won't have a problem. If you take her out and move her to the neighboring place, in fact, if you take her first, she won't even know she was the one left behind. If she's out of sight, out of mind of this other horse, she'll be just fine. It's when they're left behind in their own corral or when they can still see and hear the other horse that you have the greatest problems. So I think just taking her to the other place where she can be around other horses. If your vet and your trainer recommend a tranquilizer, um, that's fine. I would suggest she may not need it in this circumstance. If there are other horses around her and she's completely removed from the scene, she won't even know her, her BFF left. So if she does uh, get upset, of course, you could um, consider a little bit of tranquilizer, but I wouldn't do that proactively. I'd wait and see uh, how she was going to handle it. Your question about whether or not it would work to separate her for a little bit every day, I doubt it would work in two weeks. It, might, it may not actually ever work, um, but you could gradually desensitize a horse to being away from as a companion. Um, and I think recently I, um, I did a blog or a podcast on this very subject. But it, that will only work if you make sure that horse comes back to complete calmness and compliance before the other horse is brought back. So that's a lot of work that most people aren't willing to do. <laughs> So I would suggest that the easiest and least stressful way to go about this for everyone involved would be go to plan B 
and take that horse to your neighbors for a couple of days while her companion is gone. We want to keep the stress down as low as we can on all horses, but particularly on an aged horse like this um, with the hind end arthritis, we certainly don't want her running around, turning and spinning, pacing and acting frantic. So it's a little bit more work for you, but I think it'll be eminently better for the horse if you just take her to your neighbors. That's all the questions we have time for today. We still have a few questions left in the lineup that I couldn't get to this time, but I'll keep plugging away in my What the Hay segment each month. No matter where you are in your horsemanship journey, whether you're new to horses or an old hand, whether you're training a green horse or refining your higher level skills, I hope you found some helpful information to make your horse life better. Next month on my podcast, we'll cover another horsemanship topic to expand your knowledge and help make your horse life easier. Remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And please know that I love sharing my horse care and training experience with you, and I appreciate all your feedback, suggestions, and questions. I'd love to hear what topics interest you the most. So if you have questions for What the Hay or podcast topics you'd like me to address, please message me on Facebook. My page is at Julie Goodnight or email me at podcast at juliegoodnight.com. And here's a few hints. If you want your question answered on the air, keep your question concise, use proper punctuation so I can read it out loud, and proofread it before you hit send. Thanks again for your awesome comments and for the five-star ratings. It helps me out a lot and it helps us rise in the rankings so more horse lovers like you and me can find this podcast. And don't forget to check out my online membership programs. You'll find the solutions you need when you need them. You can subscribe to my full training library with hundreds of videos, audios, and articles, all searchable content. Or you can enroll in my horsemanship short courses on building confidence or join at the premier level, the Interactive Academy, where you receive a 12-month training curriculum and personalized coaching from me. Just go to juliegoodnight.com join and start your ride. I'm Julie Goodnight. Thank you for listening, and please stay safe and enjoy the ride. Be sure to visit juliegoodnight.com academy for more in-depth training advice. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd really appreciate your good review on iTunes so more horse lovers just like you can find my podcast. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to enjoy the ride. Thank you.